Coming up, Scott explores how the new Carnival Mardi Gras ship has been designed with entertainment in mind, using space and activities. We'll look at why their design is so successful and see if we can apply those principles to our own work. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Hauntraction Network show, we bring Halloween to you every weekday. We have news on location coverage and interviews from experiences around the world. As I'm sure you figured out, on Fridays, we cover the business side of Halloween and haunting. If that's not your thing, that's okay. Check in our feed as we released plenty of other great episodes this week, including our 2022 season preview of Massacre Haunted House and stories behind the writing of the Goosebumps TV series. If you have a specific question about starting or growing your haunt, join our Facebook group at Haunter's Toolbox, and you can ask our community there. They're very supportive and we'll get you the answers you need. This episode is from one of our partner stations, A Scott in the Dark, and it's hosted by Scott Swenson. And with that, I'll hand it off to Scott. everyone and welcome back to the dark uh scott swenson here and uh here is another a scott in the dark um this one is a bit weird i will say that right up front um and it it just shows that inspiration can come from many different places and uh can show up in many different ways this particular episode is inspired by my recent vacation Uh, i just recently took a seven-day cruise on the carnival mardi gras uh, which is a very large very new ship and I was really inspired by uh, the way that the ship had been designed and a lot of the stuff that I experienced while I was on my vacation. So I wanted to do a show about it and kind of explain uh, some of the takeaways that I got from the onboard experience on the ship and how that can apply to not only haunt owners and, and haunt designers, but also to people who are creating seasonal entertainment or just entertainment in general. You know, I realize that the the longer I do this show, the more I start to talk about things that aren't necessarily haunt specific, but are haunt parallel. Um, and, you know, I, I'm never obviously going to abandon the haunt industry, but I just want you guys to know that even if you're not haunters and you're listening to the show, and we do have quite a few actually, uh, but if you're not haunters and you're listening to the show, there's always something that you're going to be able to pick up. And so many people now who are haunters are also doing other forms of entertainment like myself. Uh, I do a lot of, you know, stuff that's not spooky, scary and, and quite a bit that is uh, quite a bit that is, is non-haunt related really at all. So uh, anyway, I, 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 that's what this show is all about. And it's, and it's based on or reinforces an idea that I have talked about on both this podcast and uh, Green Tag Theme Park in 30 with Philip. And that is that guests are looking more and more for things uh, to do rather than things to watch, uh, rather than things to look at. And this was just reinforced over and over again on this cruise ship experience. So, um, so let's just, let's just kind of dive in and I'll tell you a little bit about a little bit about the ship because the design of the ship itself was a, a really great example of of do versus show it it really required uh, it required guest involvement it required passenger involvement in order to get the most out of the cruise experience so uh, carnival mardi gras is the newest and largest of the mardi gras ships or of the carnival ships rather and uh, it's named after the very first carnival ship and it's uh, it's it was released to celebrate the 50 years of the carnival cruise line. Um, but 
what they've done and what I think is really, really smart is they have designed a very large ship that handles a very large passenger um, component. I mean, they're over, they're over 2000 cabins on the ship and uh, it's, it's huge. And what they've tried to do is they've tried to design it in such a way. So they take these large groups of people and they break them up and, and put them into smaller chunks or smaller hidden spaces that you kind of have to work to find. So let me kind of give you an example. Um, what they've, you know, like I said, there's a very practical side to it. It, it. it divides and conquers the crowd. So if you find these cool little small spaces, you feel as though a, you've accomplished something and B it separates you from the, the masses slightly, even if the small space is crowded, you're not looking out at thousands of people. You're looking at, you know, a hundred, 150 people max. So it, it, it kind of divides and conquers. It gives you the opportunity to have a sense of accomplishment. You know, one of the things that we talk about, or I've talked about in the past when it comes to uh, making things interactive is giving guests an opportunity to discover things. Um, this is something that, and I've told this story, I think a couple of times on here uh, that I've learned that I learned when I was working at Bush gardens about animals. You know, if you change the topography of a, an animal exhibit, you're basically creating enrichment for the animals. So they're not looking at all of the same four walls or the same four corners of their habitat all the time. If you make it so they can't find everything just from standing in one location, it gives them the opportunity to explore more. And the same, I think, is true with humans. And I think that's how this ship was sort of designed, how the approach for this ship was was created so that people actually had to seek and find the cool stuff. Um, so on the on the ship, what they've basically done is they've created these neighborhoods or or areas or themed areas. I mean, those of you in the theme park industry sound familiar. You know, they've they've created these themed areas, and then each one of the themed areas kind of breaks down into smaller and smaller subcomponents of the overarching theme. L- let me give you some examples. Uh, they have a whole section that is because of course the ship is called the Mardi Gras that is based on New Orleans and the Big Easy. And in that area, there's a, a, a grab and go restaurant. That's an Emeralds, um, Emeralds Bistro that, you know, is, is it's an upcharge, but still it's, it provides you with everything from beignets to, to crawfish. So, you know, very, very New Orleans based. Um, there's also for haunters, it's a really cool little bar called the fortune tellers bar. And uh, one whole wall is covered in these, you know, uh, big gold framed mirrors. And it looks a little bit like a bordello. And for those of you who don't know what the word bordello means, look it up. So, so it's, it's, it creates kind of a, 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 a theme within a theme. If that makes any sense. Um, there's also the the brass magnolia, which is this big sort of brass bar with magnolia cover paintings on the walls, I guess. Uh, but there's and and then at night, of course, <clears throat> the entertainment that plays here is sort of the jazz trios, jazz combos, just to create that sort of vibe in that area. Another area is um, called Summer Landing, which is really kind of cool. It's at the at the back end of the ship, and this is a, a much more rustic comfortable space um they have a one corner is like a sports bar and then they have um, a barbecue restaurant back there um guy fieri's it's called pig and anchor which is on all the carnival ships but they put that back there they put another um 
sort of, I will call it a beer bar for lack of a better description back there. Um, and then there's a, <clears throat> a stage back there and the, the band that plays back there does, you know, uh, classic rock um, sort of garage band stuff. So very, very sort of, <sighs> I, I guess comfort, comfort Americana is the way I'd kind of look at it. Um, I, I hesitate to use the term redneck because that sounds like I'm being negative, but I'm not. Uh, it's, it's, it's very much a, a comfortable hangout, have a beer at a wood, comfortable wooden picnic table kind of, kind of vibe. Um, and very different from the, the posh uh, New Orleans look. Um, and uh, they, they, another, another example is they have what is called the Piazza, which is, uh, it's where you can get your 24 hour pizza on the ship. It's where you can get paninis. It's also where um, the, italian restaurant is and that's another thing they did too is they have you know not only the main dining room but they have these separate um themed dining experiences as well so once again requiring the guests to participate and seek and find and i realize this is the the lowest end um sort of the the lowest hanging fruit of of immersive or interactive experiences but you also have to recognize it's a cruise ship so the the folks there aren't necessarily coming in to do a full escape room for their seven day vacation. They, they want to make sure that things are, are relatively easy, but if they have a sense of accomplishment, cause they're like, you know, Oh, I tried the, the Italian restaurant or, Oh, I tried the, the Mexican Chinese fusion restaurant. Um, they feel as though they've accomplished something and they actually had some mastery and control in their own guest experience. So, uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. Now what's, what's really, really neat for me is in the center of the ship, um, they have an area that has a large stage on it. And if you've ever been on a cruise, usually the center of the ship is this grand atrium that's multiple decks high and has glass elevators. It's pretty common to do it that way. They kind of turned that on its ear this time and they put a big stage here. And then there's three decks of uh, of windows that look out into the ocean during the day. But there's also uh, a series of uh, uh, 12... One, two, three, no, 18 gigantic video monitors on uh, vertical columns that can slide into place. And then that that's used as the backdrop for another performance space that you can view from three different decks, decks six, seven, and eight. And um, they do a lot of aerial stuff in here. They do everything from uh, guest artist shows to uh, they, they had a, a show in there called Voodoo Moon, which of course haunters were going to love. And I, I, some of you who listen, told me to see the show and I did and it's visually amazing the the video effects are great but there's a lot of flying in it and it's all about good spirits versus bad spirits and of course takes place in in New Orleans and is you know it's fun um <clears throat> but this space can be used it's also where they play bingo it's all, it's it's a great multi-use space and by incorporating those video monitors those uh movable video monitors which go down into the deck below and up into the deck above when they're not being used and then they come out and turn and go into place it's it's a very smart multi-use space it provides them with a lot of versatility and a lot of options as to how to use this generally wasted space on a ship um so it, it gives them a lot of a lot of opportunities and it can transform. And the neat thing is when it transforms, you never quite know what you're going to get when you walk by Grand Central, which is which is what it's called. Um, 
so it, it gives guests the opportunity to to head over there probably more often than they normally would just to sort of find out, oh, well, what is this thing or what is that thing that's going on here? Uh, and then if there's nothing else going on, the video monitors just fly away and 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 fold and disappear and you're looking out into the ocean. So it, it's it's a perfect example, in my opinion, it's a perfect example of a well-thought-out multi-use space. Um, so not only is the design interactive, they also have uh, a lot of inter- interactive activities, things that you're doing versus watching. And probably the most obvious, uh, if, you know, if you know anything about cruise lines or if you happen to be a coaster geek like I am, uh, the Mardi Gras is the first cruise ship to actually have a roller coaster on it. And uh, it is a, it's a small coaster. I admit it's more like, it's more kind of like a go-kart meets motorcycle on a roller coaster track, because again, it's a roller coaster, but you're also at sea. So you can't rely on gravity to push you forward. So you basically control your speed through the whole thing. Um, And it's, it's, it's very interactive and not only, I mean, even within the fact that you're, you're riding a roller coaster on a cruise ship, um, the, the way you interact with it is the, it, each car seats two people and the people in the person in front has a, a throttle in one hand that, that makes you speed up. Uh, you control your speed through the whole thing. So you, again, not using gravity. So you control your speed through the whole thing. And the, the throttle on the right hand is the speed. And then there's a button on the left hand, which uh, gives you a 15 second burst of, of speed again, making it so that you have more control over your guest experience and you can make it different each time you ride it. Um, so, you know, that's one of the unique, unique interactive experiences that they have on this particular ship. Other things that they've done is they've, they've, they've put in a full ropes course um, that goes up over the deck. There's your, your standard basketball, miniature golf, water play area. Um, but the one thing that I thought was interesting as far as, immersive and interactive goes is they also made little tiny, the pools are very small, but there's lots of them and they're at different places in the ship. So you can do a midship a day at the midship pool and you have your sort of standard pool experience at a, on a cruise ship. And then you go to the aft and then they have two on two different decks, uh, two different pools and the whole backs of them uh, are, are plexi. So you can sit in the pool and look out and see the ocean or look out and see the port. And again, different experiences that you have to kind of seek out on your own. And once you find them, of course, you have that sense of, ooh, look what I found. Nobody else has ever found this in this, you know, the thousand, thousands of people that are on this ship. Um, even the shows, even the shows themselves were had some, some interactive qualities. And I think the best example uh, was a show that I, called, I saw called M Theory, which was in essence a magic show in front of a giant video monitor. Um, and the magician would interact with the video and produce things, you know, look like he's plucking things out of the, the, the video content and holding them in his hand. But the thing that made it so incredibly interactive is uh, there, I, there had to be through the course of this 40 minute show, there had to be 120 um, volunteers from the audience and a hundred of them were given uh, as they walked in, were given three, three or four playing cards. I can't remember how many, um, and they basically did a card trick in their own hands, um, that happened the same for all 100 of them. 
So they had the opportunity to actually not just watch a card trick, but actually participate in it. Um, and so that was, I thought that was really clever and a, and a great way to, again, get guests to do things versus just watching things. So, um, oh, and the other thing they didn't show is that before I forget, the other thing they didn't show is a lot was break the fourth wall. So it wasn't just, I'm going to watch these performers up on stage and they're going to sing and dance and then I'm going to feel good and I'm going to go home. Uh, the, like I mentioned, they did a lot of aerial work, um, in the, in the grand central shows. So again, it, it, it took, there was no, there was no true proscenium, no separation from the, the performers and the audience. And, and that was clearly very, very important. So you're probably thinking, gosh, Scott, did you just want to talk about your vacation on this show? Uh, or is there a point? To all this stuff that you're talking about there is a point and there there are takeaways um and yes maybe i did just want to relive a little bit of my vacation but here are the here are the thoughts and takeaways that i think were demonstrated to me and and certainly inspired me to talk about them on this show here's the things that you can do as as seasonal entertainment um providers first off Think about multi-use space. You've heard me talk a lot about the the Grand Central, which is the the main atrium that they could use for multiple things. Think about that in your own uh, your own haunt or your own theme park or your own FEC or whatever it is that you run. Um, think about that. Are there spaces that are used so little that they're they're not you know. I can remember, I can remember when in theme park and it happens, it's happened not only in the theme parks that I work in or used to work in regularly, but also the ones that I work for as a consultant now, um, where they will have certain spaces that they only hold, they have to hold, they can't do anything in them because they just might book a large party or a large function. Um, and then what ends up happening is they go unused uh, significantly more times than they are actually used because they're afraid that they won't be able to do a large party if it comes up. So my suggestion is reevaluate your spaces. Uh, one of the things I love to do is, as a consultant is to, to do a site survey with my clients and say, what do you use this for? Or what is this space used for? Or could we transform this space to do this? Because quite often uh, you don't look at your spaces. Um, you look at the spaces in the way that you've always used them. You don't look at what you could do. You look at what you have done. And that's one of the advantages of actually bringing in somebody like me, who's an outside consultant who can look at something and go, have you ever thought of doing it this way? Um, and sometimes you, the answer is yes, and it failed miserably. But still, you, you quite often need to shake that up. So I, I challenge you to look at your spaces and figure out, is there spaces that are only used you know, less than 25% of the time. And is there something you could do to that space to change it to actually make it more of a multi-use space? Um, you know, for example, if you own a haunt and you have a great big ballroom scene that um, is only used in December, or I'm sorry, in October, could be used in December if you're, you know, creepy like so many of you are who watch and listen uh but but uh, it, that only is used during the ha halloween season you know is that a way is there a way that you could add a few changes tweaks modifications to that room so that that large ballroom then becomes a rentable banquet space um perhaps even with a creepy theme i mean let's face it people like creepy stuff all year round um 
So, you know, is there a way that you could make that a, a, a workable banquet space? Can you put in one of the guest, or I'm sorry, one of the, the actor hallways or one of the actor back areas, can you put a small prep kitchen? So you could then use that space to generate revenue throughout the entire year. Uh, another thing that a lot of haunts are doing, and this is, this is nothing new, um, they're, but they're, they're designing rooms so that they can be coordinated off and, and create escape rooms in them so that they can run escape rooms when they're not running the haunt themselves. Um, challenge yourself, challenge yourself and your team to figure out how to find multi-use spaces because sometimes the investment to tweak an existing space to make it more uh, multifunctional or multi-use is significantly cheaper than building a new space or trying to find a new space. So, so that was, that's the first thing I want to suggest is, is look at your, look at your haunt, look at your space and figure out what else can we do here? Um, I just recently did a, I just recently did a, uh, uh, a design for a, a theme park. And before I did the design for the haunt, I wanted to walk the space and it was cobbled together from uh, like three or four different other spaces. And they were, they said, okay, now we're going to cut a big hole in this wall and we're going to cut a hole here. And we were actually able to use all of the existing spaces as, as design elements. So, you know, the space is really, really important. Look at it in different ways. Um, if you if you're going to build a haunt in a restaurant, then find a way to utilize you know the stuff that you have, and then find a way to utilize it three other ways. Create multi-use spaces. Okay, I've beat, beaten that horse to death. Let's move on. Um, I think I, I think what I'm seeing more and more, and what I'm really glad I'm seeing more and more because I've kind of started designing this way anyway, is to create small discoverable spaces as opposed to. Uh, giant open spaces. And now the challenge with small discoverable spaces is y y people will think, oh my gosh, it's going to just really impact my, my guest flow, but it doesn't really, I'm not saying cut out your, uh, to cut out your, your, your linear pathways. What I'm saying is divide them up more so that you can, you can give new levels to theming. Um, so that you can make it so that people feel like they are more alone or that they have discovered the space on their own. I mean, one of the things that we did with the Vault of Souls this past year was uh, to create, you know, little tiny elements um, within the, within the, the space itself. Uh, and one of the things that is a challenge with this is I think people get the, have the fear that not every guest will see everything. And I'm of the, I'm of the belief that that's okay. Um, if you're really clever in the way that you design something, every guest will see everything, but they feel as though they had to work to do it. And therefore there's a, a greater sense of accomplishment. I also think that you can, uh, you can reinforce this idea by creating layers of experience. So make guests work to find the cool stuff. You can create your whole haunt, that has your walkthrough theme, you've probably already got it done, you're ready to go. Then what you can do is to make it even more immersive or more interactive, incorporate Easter eggs. This is something that, you know, um, this is a gamers, uh, online electronic gamers has, have done forever to make the games more repeatable is to have hidden little gems and hidden little things that uh, if you do one quirky, weird thing, it, it reveals itself. Um, Disney does this, has done this throughout their parks for years. They will hide hidden Mickeys, you know, the, the 
outline of Mickey's head. You can do this in your own haunts as well. Um, you know, you if you've listened to the show for a while or watched the show for a while, you know that I put rabbits in pretty much everything I can I can design. Sometimes they get cut, but in my designs, there's always a rabbit of some sort. And sometimes it's in a different language, and sometimes it's just a picture of a rabbit, and sometimes it's the name of a uh, a store or a restaurant that happens to be in the haunt or or whatever. But I try to put rabbits in there. So those are my Easter eggs or my hidden Mickey's. And then you can take it even one step further. Um, like we also do with the Vault of Souls this past year and how we're going to do it again this year, I believe, is to create actual scavenger hunts that in order for guests to feel as though they've accomplished something, you have them find a, a series of things. Um, they did this on the ship as well. They actually did a uh, a uh, camera phone scavenger hunt where they had to go out. They had a list of of. 15 or 20 things that they had to find and take pictures of, and then come back. And the first person back got a ship on a stick. And if you've ever been on a carnival cruise, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's basically a plastic trophy of a carnival ship. Plus they got bragging rights, but what it did was it forced people to discover um, new and different places all around the ship and, uh, and sort of divide and conquer even the crowds that were playing those scavenger hunts. So, those are those are kind of the the inspirations that I got from the ship, and I and I wanted to kind of reinforce them with you guys, so that you you don't have to create you don't have to create something that <clears throat> feels generic. You can create those unique little experiences that that people have to work to find, and that just by design makes things more immersive, and more interactive, and more special for guests. You know, we in the haunt industry. I've said it for years. We are the gateway drug to immersive entertainment. And when people realize that they can participate in an experience as opposed to just watch it, it becomes far richer. And I think we are finally getting to the point now where at least a certain generation is really embracing that. So it, you can use, you can use technology to do it. You can make it super low tech that's up to you. That's up to your budget. That's up to your personal preference and really up to the target audience that you're, you know, going after you, that, that will really determine what it is, but the theory doesn't change. It's that guests want to do things. They want to discover things and just looking at a, a giant massive ship design was um, enough inspiration for me to do this particular show. Uh, speaking of shows, I have, uh, I do have a new show that's not haunt related, but I do have a new show coming up at the Tampa Fringe. Um, it's the last weekend of, of July, first weekend of August. And it's another perfect example of how I'm trying to take live theater and make it, uh, give the guest control over it. Um, the show is called 151. And the concept is one performer, me, will improvise five characters based on uh, audience prompts. And then I'll try to weave these five characters together into one storyline. Um, so when guests come in before the show even starts, there are five laundry baskets. There'll be five laundry baskets across the front of the stage and a big box of costumes and props. And the guests will place these costumes and props into these five laundry baskets. And that will be the wardrobe for the five characters that I will improvise during the course of the show. Uh, the next thing I'll do is come out and talk to the audience for a while so that I can make certain that the the storyline that I'm telling is directly connected with that specific audience. Uh, 
so not only have they physically decided what I will be wearing and, and utilizing for each of the five characters, but I'll also talk to them and get their own personal input about has anything important happened to you in the last three days or, or, you know, are you here with friends? Are you here with family? So that I can be able to weave and incorporate those things into the show itself. And then if that's not enough uh, as an, for an improv challenge, uh, I'm also going to have three, uh, one to three wrapped boxes that will have props in that I won't know what's in them and I'll give them to the guest and it, they can at any point in time during the show, a member of the audience can come up and hand me this box and I will have to incorporate that prop into that section into the story as well. So it's, it's a new way of looking at improvisation. It's a new way of looking at theater and it will create those moments that will only happen once. They'll only happen when that one audience is there because all of the, all of the cogs have aligned in a certain way to create a show that will happen in that moment and then be gone. So that's, that's my attempt um, to figure out how to take live theater and make it even more interactive uh, and give guests more control over it. If you're interested in seeing 151, you can go to tampafringe.org and tickets go on sale June 20th. And like I said, the, the show runs um, at different times on the last weekend of July and the first weekend of August. So if you're in the Tampa Bay area or you want to come to the Tampa Bay area and check out the Tampa Fringe, Tampa International Fringe, uh, the show is called 151 and it's uh, it's a solo improv show. So it should be fun. All right. So I've rambled on about a whole bunch of stuff that's really not haunt related, but all of these ideas can be applied. So please um, look past the surface, find ways to create new and different immersive and interactive experiences for your guests. And I guess the, the final takeaway that I want you all to listen to is no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, let it inspire you. Let it uh, seep into your brain so you can go, oh, I bet I could apply that in a haunted attraction. And not just when you see bones, not just when you see skulls, not just when you see blood, but you know when you see how a ship is designed or when you see a piece of theater or when you see a movie that may not be haunt related at all, break it down into its components and let those inspire you because that's what will lead us to uh, bigger, better, and more exciting haunted attractions. So that is this episode of A Scott in the Dark. And uh, this is Scott Swenson saying, until next time, rest in peace. Okay, that's it for today. We'll catch you back here Monday for our weekly news. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary. 
This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.